Uh, this morning, my subject is comfort in tribulation. Now, there are a lot of sincere Christians who feel and actually believe that when bad things happen, that God is somehow in it, that God is maybe testing them. I have known some Christians when faced with financial issues and because of circumstances, they were used to paying tithe and they didn't tithe anymore. And things start going wrong and so they started looking at this as God's holding back his blessings. So what really is our view of God? How does God really operate? When we go through tribulations, sickness, disease, marriage problems, children's problems, we often cry out, where is God in the midst of all this? And we can't, when we can't figure it out, we start thinking, well, maybe I'm being tested. Do we really believe that this is how God operates in our life? There are some who teach that when you are sick, you can speak the sickness and disease away. If you have faith enough, you can speak it in Jesus' name and you'll be healed. Is that really, do we really believe this? Is there some little formula like that? That'll make it all happen. In 1 Corinthians 1.3, the Bible says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now notice what the scripture says. The Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Do we believe that God is causing bad things to happen to us? Or even do we believe that he's allowing them to happen to us so that he can test us and to see what we will do? Somehow, we kind of get this image that he's really rooting for us, that we pull through this test. And yet, we, do we really believe what the Bible says, that God is the God of all comfort? The Bible says that the rain falls on the just and the unjust. The world is coming at us. That's the problem. It's coming at us and we're wondering just how it's going to all end. But do we really believe that God is using tragedies to get our attention or to get us to wake up? Is this our view of God? The Bible says that he is the God of all comfort and he comforts us in the midst of our tragedies, but he does not cause them. He is not the author of tragedies. There are some dangerous doctrines out there and we need to be careful that we don't look at disasters and disease and sickness and all bad things that happen in this world, that it is God's doing. Scriptures tell us that there is another 
God, a lowercase God, the prince of this world, and it's Satan. And it goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. And it is Satan that causes most of the problems that we witness today. Where does all this pain come from? Well, it could come from some bad decisions we've made. There's consequences for bad decisions. It could be because of circumstances in our life. It's the pain of this world that we face every day. But it is not from God. It is not from God. What if God is not who you think he is? And neither are we. I know that when pain comes, the question often is, where is God? And sometimes we sort of look up and we say, God, where are you? But the Bible tells us where God is. He is in the believer. Christ in you is the hope of your glory. So the Bible is very plain. It's Christ living in you. You don't have to look up. He's in. And he's always in. 2 Corinthians 1.4 says this. Who comforts us in all of our affliction so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God? You know, the Bible says to us, in uh, 2 Corinthians 3, the Bible says that we are told that we are all ministers of the new covenant. Did you know that every single one of us are ministers? You don't have to have a degree in theology. You don't have to understand all the things in the Bible. You don't have to be able to give Bible studies. No. We are called to help people. We are called to bring comfort to people. Our ministry today, the, the God of heaven is calling us to minister to other people to give them comfort, not to teach them necessarily about all things of the Bible, but just to give them comfort. Paul is saying that we go through a lot of stuff and those who are in any affliction will be comforted with us, by us. That is our ministry. We are called to minister comfort to others. People today have little hope. They need comfort from the God of all comfort. People are burdened down with guilt and sin. And we are called to minister the comfort of Jesus Christ, who took away the sins of the world. Do you realize how many people out there, they do not feel good about themselves? Most Christians do not really understand that Christ lives in the believer and that they are 100% okay. They're okay, but they don't believe it. They think there's something wrong with them. And so we are called to comfort them 
in the truth of the gospel. And the gospel says that they are okay. There are Christians who are asking, I wonder what God really thinks about me. Because there's a lot of bad things that are happening in my life. And so they wonder, what am I doing wrong? What could I be doing that I should be doing? In 2 Corinthians 1.5, For just as the suffering of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. Now, do you see this? The suffering of Jesus Christ? It wasn't God the Father who was causing the suffering of Jesus. The world did it to him. And it wasn't the Father, it isn't the Father, who is testing his Son. And it isn't God who is causing trials and tribulations to test you. Well, what about God's disciplining us? I don't know why we're infatuated with God disciplining us, but we are. The Christians look within themselves when things are not going wrong and they say, well, maybe God is disciplining us. But let's settle one great misunderstanding, and that is discipline is not God's reaction to sin, and I'll say that again, discipline is not God's reaction to sin. 2,000 years ago, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he died for the sins of the world. The sin issue was settled. He remembers our sins no more. No sooner do we sin than he doesn't remember them anymore. But this idea that we feel that God is disciplining because we sin. What is our view of God? How do we view him? We say that, oh, God's so full of love. God loves us. And, and, and some people believe that him disciplining us is proof that he loves us. But they feel that he's disciplining them because of sin. God's disciplining is totally recreating us into his image. And all of God's discipline is done in love. He is, there's no question about, he is guiding us and he is correcting us, but it's always in love because he is maturing us. The discipline, discipline is the same word, the Greek word as disciple. So, and and how did Christ treat his disciples? Did he correct them? Yes, he did. But always in love. Always in love. We should welcome God's discipline. Because it's always done in love. And it's always done to recreate us into his image. We have no fear of the discipline of God. God knows our heart. He is 100% with you. You are his child. He has promised that he would never leave you nor forsake you. He lives inside of you. And his promise to you is that no matter what happens, no matter what, 
I will go through it with you. The question we need to ask ourselves is, do we really believe him? Do we really believe what he says is true? In 2 Corinthians 1.6, But if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. Now that's a strange thing for Paul to say. But if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. Or if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which is effective in the, in the patience enduring of the same suffering which we also suffer. Wow, that sounds confusing, doesn't it? What Paul is saying, that if I'm having a good day, God is comforting me. If I have a bad day, God is comforting me. God is constantly reassuring and comforting me that he loves me. He wants me to know that he loves me, and he wants me to know that I can trust him. I can trust him because we love him because he first loved us. So oftentimes, we hear that, that God, he is a responder. God is never the responder. He's always the initiator. We love him because he first loved us. It's never the other way around. Now, Paul, in the Sunday school class, was touched on that a little bit, that Paul was beaten, cast into prison. Now, there's not too many people that go to prison and start rejoicing. But that was his experience. He faced death. He felt that he faced death daily. He was stoned, often hungry. But to him, it was worth it all. That's hard to believe. But he was comforted by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And to experience God's love in the midst of all of this stuff, then the Holy Spirit assures him, all things will work for good. Not to worry, Paul. All things are going to be okay. His response was, thank you, Lord. Thank you. And he says here, but if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. Do you realize that when the believer who actually believes that Jesus Christ performed surgery on him, when he accepted Jesus Christ as his personal Savior, took out that stony heart, replaced it with his, when a believer actually believes that, there becomes a peace that no one can understand. And that peace, they, when the unbeliever sees that peace, unconsciously they don't really understand it, but they feel that something is comforting that person in the middle of all of these tragedies, trials, and tribulations. And that is the ministry of God. He is giving us comfort in the middle, in the midst of all of our issues. And that's what leads others to salvation. They see that. They sense that. And they feel it. 
And then as all Paul is saying is to us, if that's your experience, just pass it on. He's not saying that you need to go out and give Bible studies. He's not saying that you need to go door to door, knock on doors, and tell them that Jesus loves them. He's just saying, once you experience the ministry of God bringing you comfort, that's all it takes. All of us are called into the ministry of giving comfort to other people. This is what God has called us to. In 2 Corinthians 1.7, the Bible says this, And our hope for you is firmly grounded, knowing that you are sharers of our suffering, so also you are sharers of our comfort. So we are the sharers of God's comfort. And we do that without hesitation because it's just a matter of the peace that is within us that people begin to sense and realize that there's something different. I know that there are some who teach that you can, through faith, call upon God and just sort of speak it away. But that's not the gospel. What Paul is teaching, that's not the issue. For he himself prayed three times that God would take his affliction away. Now here you have an apostle who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. A powerful man in God, of, of God. Is all he's saying, we don't know what the affliction was, but is all he's saying is, Lord, it would be great if you would take it away. And what is God's response to him? My grace is enough for you, Paul. My grace. Because through that affliction, people are going to see the power of God as they've never seen it before. My grace is sufficient for you. Paul is saying to us, if we are afflicted, it may go away tomorrow. It may go away a week from now. It may go away from a month from now, a year from now. Or it may never go away. I, can, I shared this with you before, and I'll say it again. That for 20-some years, I prayed that God would take something away for me. I begged him. I pleaded with him for over 20-some years. Finally, when I was reading this, some years ago, I was laying in bed, and I said, Lord, how many times have I talked to you about this? How many times, Lord? For over 20-some years. Obviously, you're not listening, or I'm not listening. So if it's not bothering you, that's great then. I won't bug you about it again. I won't ask you about it again. And Paul was saying that if that affliction is with you for the rest of your life, it's okay. It's all right. Because God's grace is sufficient for you. And what a relief that was. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 1.8, 
For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia. I don't know what happened in Asia. That we were burdened excessively beyond our strength so that we despaired even of life. Now, I don't know how many of you have ever gone through that experience, but I'm sure that some of us have. You may have heard the myth, and I call it a myth, that God will never let you experience more than you can bear. Have you ever heard that? He will never... What is our view? How do, what are we viewing God as? God is going to... what? I, I, I think they picture he's looking down at us and he's going to let us go only so far and then he's going to step in. Is that really what God is doing? Is that what he is saying? Look at Paul. But look at the world today. Those of us who have been in the service, when you look at war. When you knew, read the news and you read, read all about the murders and the rapes and the crime of every sort. It's enough to discourage anyone. And Paul said that it got so heavy with him that he even despaired even life. We set people up for misunderstanding God. As if he kind of limits just how far he'll let this world go. He is the God that lives within you. No matter what this world throws at you, it doesn't make any difference. God is in the mist and he's in you and he'll see you through it. But the question is still there. Why does God allow all this stuff? And here is our answer. It's recorded in verse 9. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. Yes, I want you to think about it for just a moment. What the Son of God went through, did he avoid disasters? No. Jesus was mocked. He was beaten. He was pierced. He was crucified. And they killed him. Now, who did that? It was the world that did death. Listen. You and I, as born-again believers, are being conformed into God's image. This could not happen if somehow we were magically ejected from all of trials and tribulations. No, we are not escaping this world and the hard times of it. But we now know that God is not causing these things. We are called to trust God for the past and the present and the future. 
That means living one day at a time. Have you ever thought about what people said, if you only had one more day to live, what would you do? I would do exactly what I did this morning. And tomorrow, I'll do exactly as if it were my last day on earth. No difference. We are living one day at a time. Good morning, Lord. This is the day that you have made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. As if it may be my last day. We are called to trust God. Just believe him. Believe what he says is true. Believe how much he really loves us. I mean, I don't know that we fully comprehend that love. But just to think that he's, he came searching for us. We caught a glimpse of it and we responded. And then he took all of our past. And he remembers it no more. He took all of our sins and he buried them into the depths of the sea. And then he came and resides within us. He lives in us. Yes, we know what sin is and we do sin. But it's like Paul said, it's not me. It's really not me. It's sin that dwells within me but it's not me. We are called to trust him with our future. Most of us here already know what our inheritance is. Our inheritance is eternal life. Every one of us will experience that. Now, one of the problems is that we all have weaknesses. I don't know about you, but I've struggled with and wrestled with some of my weaknesses through the years. And I've tried all these different programs that are out there today to help me strengthen, get, get stronger, so these, these issues would go away. I didn't like my weaknesses. And I prayed and prayed that God would take them away. Weaknesses, and I couldn't believe when, when I started reading about Paul. I mean, I read about the others, Moses, who got angry, so angry that he killed somebody. Abraham, fear of man. He feared man so much that he, he would lie without batting an eye. And Sarah, she was full of unbelief. Samson, he was a womanizer. And David, he not only feared God, but he was full of lust to the extent that he had somebody murdered. And Peter was full of pride, and he had a fear of man. Now, how do we stack up? Not too bad, huh? Not too bad. A lot of these guys went before us, a lot of these women, they had the same problems that we had. But then here comes Paul. 
who crucified Christians. He's the murderer. So here comes Paul, and Paul boasts about his weaknesses. Now, I'm trying to hide mine, and Paul is boasting about his. All of us, through our struggles, we want to get strong in the Lord. We want these weaknesses to go away. And Paul, he says that his weaknesses, they are an opportunity to see the strength of God. That's a tough one to believe. So if I'm weak, it's okay. If I'm weak, I'm going to see the power of God's strength more and more and more. That's what Paul says. Now, how do you see it? You see, our weaknesses are merely a daily reminder of our need to depend upon Christ. That's all they are. They're just a daily, daily reminder that we need Christ, that Christ is our life, that we can depend upon him. So no wonder Paul could boast about his weaknesses. The bottom line is, if we are constantly trying to cover our weaknesses, try to get rid of these weaknesses through self-effort, then we can't at the same time rest in the strength and sufficiency of God. It's, it's, it's almost an impossibility. The bottom line is this. Paul knew that his joy wasn't dependent on circumstances or where he was, as we found out in the Sunday school class this morning. Because he knew who he was in Christ. So his location didn't make any difference. The circumstances didn't make any difference. He knew that Christ lived in him. And that should be our motivation for living life, is that Christ lives within us. And here's what happens. When we start believing that, we start rejoicing even in our weaknesses. We don't plead and beg God to take them away any longer because God is using those weaknesses. He's using them for us to depend upon him more and more and more. And if that's the case, because I know that he's promised he's recreating us into his image, if that's the case, whatever what happens, happens. And that's why Paul could go to prison and start rejoicing. Because he knew where his location was. He knew that it was Christ in him that was his only hope of glory. And when we start rejoicing in our weaknesses, when we accept our circumstances, when we are waiting patiently for him to change us into his image, we develop a thankful heart. 
Did you know that that's what happens? When we are waiting for God to do something in our lives, we develop a thankful heart. That's a strange concept, but it is absolutely true. God says that you and I have been called to comfort others. The experiences that we go through life, God uses them. He ministers to us, but in turn, he says, pass it on. If you feel the comfort that I'm giving you, pass it on. Because all of these people out here, I mean, the majority of the people out here are so confused about God, it's unbelievable. Their concept of God and the way that God operates, it's unbelievable. It's all such double talk. They believe that God is there, and yet they wonder where. And the Bible says that he's right here. He's right in our core. He lives within us. Always remember what Paul said. My power is made perfect in weakness. Your strength as a Christian is made perfect because of your weaknesses. That's a tough one to grasp. But it's all true. God knows what he's doing. For when I am weak, Paul says, that's when I'm strong. When I am weak, how does how, how do that translate? When I am weak, then I know that I am strong because it's our dependency upon God. When we depend upon God for life, we become strong. And so it's easy for us to say, yes, I, I have some weaknesses. Paul says, I boast of my weaknesses because that's where my strength lies. And that's where your strength lies. Shall we pray? Our Heavenly Father, we, we praise you and thank you for the simplicity of the gospel. Here we thought that there was something wrong with us because of our weaknesses. Maybe we thought we, we need to study more, we need to pray more, we need to do everything more to, so you would take these things away. And, and now we find out that it's those weaknesses when we acknowledge them when we bring them to you, then we, then we understand that they become our strength because they are a daily reminder. They're a daily reminder that we need to depend upon you. We thank you. We're thankful for the life that you've given to us. We're thankful for, for the Holy Spirit who guides us and counsels us through life. And we're just so thankful that you are there in us, working through us. And I pray that in the, in the name of Jesus, that as we look at this whole picture, that we'll just pass it on. So bless us as we do just that. Bless us as we relax and trust in you. 
For we ask it all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.